Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today, it's Machine Learning 2, the electric bugaloo. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? <laughs> it's going down. It's, it's the sequel. You went with it. Yeah, yeah I, really, I really went with it, guys. <laughs> We've been listening to too much vinyl. <laughs> we had a previous conversation on machine learning with Tom Benham, and I'd like to introduce once again, Tom Benham. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Glad to have you here and joining us in the uh, electric bugaloo of machine learning. Mm. <laughs> I guess that's we're going we're gonna to dive in a little deeper on the conversation of machine learning. It seems that everyone in the community loves machine learning and we have an expert here in the room. So we can just jump into that. Does anyone have any starting conversations or questions that they want to ask Tom now that he's here? Yeah, I thought last time we like kind of really scratched the surface pretty well, like, but it was just a scratch. So I guess mm-hmm. we go a little bit deeper into some specific kinds of machine learning, maybe. Yeah. So I think we were chatting a little bit before we started, but I think in terms of like scope, maybe we'll try and in the interests of getting into areas in a little more depth, maybe we'll try and stay focused on what we're maybe we'll define as machine learning versus say broader deeper learning which is part of the broader ai yeah set of set of algorithms so we can make some distinction there first and then maybe dive into the different areas of what machine learning is and maybe put it within a more practical context right you're gonna say something for the trilogy the end of the trilogy (laughs) yeah (laughs) right exactly (laughs) so do you want to do you want to define those terms for us machine learning versus deep learning i mean i'll do my best i mean machine learning has more potential transparency, if you like, and it's more of a hands-on user-driven set of algorithms versus deep learning, which is more self-learning algorithms using neural networks and algorithms within that space. So there's a lot, there's much less transparency and more self-learning within the deep learning neural net space. With machine learning, it's more hands-on defined algorithms that the modeler or coder or whoever is iterating on in a more uh, transparent way. Right. So I guess that, like, I, what you're kind of driving to is like, how does one define features in a neural net versus a deep learning? Yeah. So or, if like, or, uh, sorry, like a, in a neural net, like deep in, with deep learning versus a more traditional uh, machine learning thing like a regression. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's the appropriate terminology. So, feature extraction, definition, tuning is more of a it's a more of an engineering exercise. Whereas, one of the reasons deep learning, I think, now is much more popular, both because it has a high degree of accuracy and it's less requires less hands on tuning. The flip side of that, though, is that the features within deep learning tend to be extremely high volume and extremely low transparency. Yeah, and it's so kind of hard to interpret what it is. You're all impossible. Yeah. yeah. So all you know, all you know, is the sort of performance of the algorithm. You don't know why it's accurate or not. Yeah, I guess it kind of like puts things on its head a little bit. Like with deep learning, I've seen some really good explanations of how like a neural net is working and like mm-hmm. how it, how it breaks down, especially with like some of Google's demonstrations mm-hmm. of how their like TensorFlow uh, sandbox works, but with 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 like more traditional machine learning methods like 
the expertise is really upfront where like you, you need the expertise in the, the specific domain in order to understand it instead of like expertise in the neural net to explain why it's working. Yeah, so I think it may it may make sense if we if we stay within the the machine learning space and the subcategories within that, and then as you said, I can gives me an excuse to come back again, and we can <laughs> <laughs> we can we can do the trilogy like you said. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, what are some examples of some traditional machine learning algorithms? Yeah, algorithms. Well, do I, do you want to start maybe in talking about like what's the motivation around machine learning, and even you know this is true for deep learning as well, but. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, so, for the, to give people context, I mean, why are you doing this? I mean, it, it, obviously, there's sort of technical aspects to this, which are fun and geeky and interesting to engage in. But at the end of the day, you're really – machine learning is about enabling decision-making through machines as opposed to human beings, right? So, we take, we take in information all the time. Mm-hmm. visual audio sensory information and and we respond to that in some way based on aspects of you know things that we're not going to get into today mm-hmm. right yeah yeah it's like kind of like the the cia title of like an analyst where they're just like taking in all of the information <laughs> yeah. and synthesizing it in their head well i'm just thinking more about us general uh, generally as human beings walking around the street and just you know we we take in information and we process it and we re- react back to the world machine learning is is about doing that same thing but it's we're doing that through machines so if you think about like examples are going to be that that we deal with at work for example are like what's the probability of someone defaulting on a loan or what's mm. what's if you think about putting your I don't know if you deposit checks into a uh, ATM at all, mm-hmm, but right. the uh, ma- machines interpreting the text on that to translate that into a number, for example, or right. passing all your photos into Google and Google categorizing those into which person that photo belongs to or which people are in that in that photo. They're all examples of, <laughs> or even which dog that fly. <laughs> that <laughs> whether it's a dog, up. whether it's a dog or a blueberry muffin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really so challenging problems. <laughs> yeah, there's there's millions of people who deposit these checks and upload their photos to Google Photos. I'm definitely one of them. And being able to take that information and then learning how to sort it to an individual, Google then like hones its algorithm much better so that it can identify sooner or later the difference between a blueberry muffin and a chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so machine learning is about enabling machines to make decisions using, you know, probabilistic algorithms and statistics and and training machines to make its best judgment on is that a two written on that paper or is that an eight or a five or yeah. is that is, yeah, yeah. is that Nunes in that photo or yeah. is it William or David or and so it's it's basically it's enabling that type of decision making using algorithms is you know, i mean again that's true of deep learning as well as machine learning but that's the sort of motivation that maybe makes more sense to put the discussion in top uh, in context and then we can get into the different categories of yeah yeah and i guess like you you brought up one example of machine learning of like determining you know someone's credit worthiness or their likeliness to default on a loan that that sounds like that's something that you would want a lot of transparency into You'd, you'd want to understand exactly why a person may not be considered a safe bet in case like you need to explain it to someone later. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of financial decisions can be based on that, those types of, that t- type of information and the better you are at interpreting what drives someone to be a good or bad creditor, 
you know, the better, the less bad debts you're going to have on your balance sheet, basically. And better decisions you're going to make about lending money. Yeah. And I imagine that, like, it's there's like money implication, right? Because you want, like, banks want to be able to give out a loan at a particular interest rate that will best interest the bank and the, but also the individual to pay that back. So, like, if you, if Google messes up on a particular identification of a photo, one time it'll learn that and then afterwards but identifying when if there was a big loan and then that person defaulted then there's like there could potentially be money lost like there's a lot more to lose in a loan that gets defaulted than like a photo that gets misidentified right or even like that person you know on the other side of the money equation it's like that person's life like maybe if they didn't have that loan then you know they would have like had to find some other way or not spent the money in that right. way and they wouldn't have to uh, go through that process. Right. All right. So, uh-huh. we've, so we've kind of set up some of the motivations behind why you might use uh, machine learning. I mean, there are lots of other examples around making decisions about what ads to push to which people and uh, what's mm-hmm. the probability of them liking a given product if you put it in front of them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kind of uh, algorithm might be good to use with, you know, one of the, the – applications we were talking about earlier like the the credit default application so generally in that case we in the you know more complex models you're going to use a classification model so maybe that's a good segue into mm-hmm. some of the different types of models within ma- machine learning so we can maybe we'll, i'll start up high and we can work our way into a specific model for that particular use case so so generally within yeah machine learning you got two different algorithm groups if you like supervised learning and unsupervised learning so maybe we'll start with the supervised sure. learning so supervised then splits into regression models or uh or essentially just, numeric just to models. take a step back maybe like what's the difference between supervised and unsupervised yeah so i was going to get over to supervised but so diff- the, the, the fundamental difference is with supervised models you you're you have a dependent variable so what that means is that you you know the re- you have a set of data where you know the inputs and you know the result related to those inputs so you, mm-hmm. that that, da- that so pick an example of so facial recognition could be one where you have a set of photos where you know someone is angry okay mm-hmm. the, and the dependent variable is an angry expression uh, and so you may use maybe that's not the best example but um yeah. you, you have a set of photos where you know what your the label that you're trying to predict yeah or I think a common one is maybe like with house prices where you have some features of a market of houses like what neighborhood it's in and whatever and then the 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 predictor the dependent variable is yeah. the price of the house so that's any i mean supervised learning is any data set where you yeah you effectively you know you have you can you have a data set where the inputs you can connect the inputs with the result or the outcome mm-hmm. the dependent variable and the supervised uh, sorry, an unsupervised data set is one where you you have a data set and you're just trying to understand latent structure. You're not you don't have a known dependent variable that you can then tune your algorithm on or model your algorithm on. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of have to accept whatever it it comes out with. Yeah, so that's more what we call clustering. So you'll have you'll have you're putting the you're clustering the data set into groups, but you don't know what the the label of those groups are until you've actually run through the algorithm. 
So one example of that is natural language processing, topic modeling. I think we touched on that last time. You might take a, a set of like 5,000 articles from the New York Times or something and you can process them through certain algorithms and it'll, it'll start to automatically group them into different uh, clusters based on the features inherent in that data set. Mm. It's up to some user to inspect it and be like, okay, this is the topic about you know, the stock market. Mm-hmm. This, yes, this is, is about sports or this right. is about real estate or this is about economics mm-hmm. or whatever the, you know, whatever the topic is going to be. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you want to drill a little bit more into supervised learning? Yeah. So supervised learning, we've got these two groups, regression, which is really looking at sort of numeric predictors and then classification, which is trying to, which is sort of cat- categorizing the data into different groups. So the regression is your typical sort of, intercept gradient equation so if you think of a very two-dimensional data set you know you've got x and y axes and you're trying to work out what's what is the what is the curve that best predicts the outcome for given x what's the best curve that predicts y basically right your classic like y equals mx plus b mm-hmm. slope intercept exactly that's in the simplest case <laughs> <laughs> but that can you know that can be broken out to be much more multi-dimensional and you can add in sort of polynomial sort of uh, to the, you know, to the power sort of factors within that to get curvature within the curve and do lots of, you can put different penalties on those models to try and restrict your bias variance trade-offs that you make building those out. So that's the numeric. And then the classification is you're trying to, you're trying to categorize the results set into different groups. So, a classic data set is the iris data set that if you've got if you go online you can go to kaggle you can get you can download any r and set there's certain r libraries you can download and that's basically a data set predict categorizing different types of iris flowers i think there's three different types into mm-hmm. which type they are based on petal length width and the stem length and width or whatever something within the flower oh wow that's a very so from some like numerical value you end up getting some qualitative thing about that that flower in that classification example yeah yeah mm. cool so the other thing i was going to touch on actually the, the interesting um, connect or the connection between humans making the difference i should say between humans making decisions and machines making decisions is that machine learning can consume all of these different sensory inputs you know, it can be visual, it can be audio, it can be raw data and I suppose sensory less so at this stage. But the 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 route is always the same. Anything, so if you take in audio information, you're still going to convert that to some regularized or standardized format, generally sort of two-dimensional matrices, and then mm-hmm. you're going to run your algorithms over that. That's the same with photos or other visual input and the same with data uh, raw data coming in right you gotta uh, do the extra legwork of building the feature mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. your picture like so you're, I, gonna, I you're, guess gonna, like, you're gonna take some information like a photo you're going to deconstruct that into some and convert that into some sort of matrices view and right then you're going to consume it within your like there's a classic uh nist handwriting samples where just like perfect like 64 by 64 pixel images of different sloppy handwritings and in order to work with it you need to put it all in a row and you know turn it into grayscale as some kind of a number that the computer can do some math with and you get thousands and thousands of sixes 
then you start to iterate on exactly what a six looks like when it's converted into a what's I think it's a what is it twenty six by twenty six pixel view whatever that turns out to be mm, right yeah so then that's like an, another example of classification where we have supervised because we have a label on the the data set we know that this is a six and we have a whole bunch of them so we can learn what a six looks like and we're processing the data like like we we're talking about like feature engineering exactly i have a question studying machine learning what is something that humans can do better than machine learning if that's even possible yeah well i think there's lots of things right now that that's totally true of the thing right the discussion right now around machine learning or ai is that ai is very it's could be extremely powerful or superhuman better than humans at very specific things right so that might be like like autism spectrum good <laughs> this is one thing yeah. <laughs> yeah that's kind of yeah so that could be playing go could be playing chess that it or could be identifying handwriting identifying like, well really yeah, so get really good at identifying sloppy handwriting yeah so definitely machines are breaching human level error in those in those sort of basic functions now as well mm-hmm. classify classifying photos they can do much higher volume tasks that even if their accuracy or performance is not better than humans, so classifying photos into different groups and whatever. So generally, machines can you can they can be trained to be really good at one thing, as opposed to the broader or what's called general intelligence, which is taking some level of intelligence like we have as human beings and being able to apply it in multiple domains. So machines can be trained to be extremely good in one domain, but not really traverse. Not that same single AI can then traverse multiple domains. And then, so so the other part of that is they're clearly not better at everything in isolation, but not as good in general. I mean, in terms of human emotion and empathy and, um, you know, they just don't have that capability. And I think just navigating the actual three-dimensional environment, robots just don't have that capability yet. And I'm sure there's there's millions (laughs) of other examples where that would be true, that humans are far better than machines still. Yeah, there are a lot of hilarious videos of people at Boston Robotics kicking over robots though. Oh, don't do that. That's (laughs) how it starts. That's that's how it starts. We'll pay for that in the future, I guess. (laughs) Where do you see machine learning affecting humans within the next five years like do you think that self-driving cars there'll be 50 percent more self-driving cars in five years or like what are what are some tasks that will see a huge boom in machine learning in the next five years i mean yeah that's probably one of them. Uh, yeah self-driving cars would be pretty amazing i mean what did they, they so they've already had a few deaths around that and one recently and it doesn't seem to be slowing things down much at all. There's a lot of automation going in the financial services industry. Just, people haven't worked out really how to scale that yet. But I mean, it's already true within you know high speed trading on right. the on the stock exchange and in other markets. I mm-hmm. mean, machines have basically taken over the stock market. It's like applications like Betterment and smart vestments and stuff like that that automatically does trading for you on a day to day basis yeah. or something like that. So it's already, I think, true within the healthcare industry as well that, that machines, machine learning, deep learning can be used in ways that is classifying 
medical diagnoses in a more accurate way than doctors are in certain areas, both from a visual perspective and also just uh, sort of more multi-dimensional inputs. Yeah, I, I, like, I like the idea that like, although like you really want to have the final say on something like like if you have cancer or not to be deferred to a human because you know they they we've we've had the most experience with that we have a lot of trust in humans and i like the idea about like machine learning making people's lives a lot easier like i, I had a buddy who actually did that like he looked at skin cancer slides mm. and that was his job like he spent nine hours a day looking at these slides and it's like oh not cancer not cancer not yeah. cancer not cancer even um, after a machine looked at it or no that's what his job yeah oh, okay yeah i like the idea that like maybe some of those obvious not cancers could be screened out and then like if there's like a maybe then get a dude in there or a, a woman and you know check it out yeah, so I think it's it's going to be across industry, but I think yeah, cars are definitely going to be a big thing, auto, autonomous driving. But it's so prevalent now already, and it's just going to continue to be. I mean, certainly, if, like I said, financial services, healthcare, auto yeah. industry. Or even in like subtle ways. I think that's that's going to be the most interesting thing where maybe you won't have a car that will drive itself, but <laughs> you could have like – a car that has a braking assist feature or like it has like a traffic driving feature mm. and it, you wouldn't even think about that as being like self-driving but it's like oh this is a really nice thing cool thing i have mm. well, that's, well that's that's already there as well yeah exactly yeah yeah i'm, I'm waiting for the self-driving car that i own that dr- picks me up <laughs> takes me wherever i go and then it parks itself like i have to not worry about my car at all i think that's like the <laughs> ideal use of automated uh, automation in the car <laughs> for me at least yeah city life at that point you don't really need to own the car you just no. uber exactly yeah, but then you gotta you, you know they, they gotta throw a fee on it and i don't know i just feel like if if i owned it then it'll probably be cheaper i'm not sure I have, i'm not there yet that's future mike's problem <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, if it's just your car and no one else is using it then you have nobody to share the cost of the car that's true. Whereas if it's crowdsourced, there are lots of people cheaper. using that car whenever you're not, whenever you don't need it. Or I can start a company that does that and then make monies. Yeah. I don't know. This monies. is, this is again, I will call it Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uber is a machine learning Uber. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, machine learning is definitely a concept that will continue to grow within the next five years. And I'm, I don't want to say I'm nervous, but I'm really like anxious to know what are some of the things that will happen because a lot of good things will happen out of this. Like, you know, being able to analyze things that doctors may not be able to see because they've had to deal with a very long procedure or surgery or whatnot that we can hand it off to machines that can then, you know, read charts and, and kind of dig in through some of the maybes like Dave mentioned to find out whether it is skin cancer or not. Mm. And, and I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really exciting to, to I can see why yeah. people are excited about it. I guess we can talk a little bit about some of the uh, potential pitfalls with machine learning too, especially with classification. You always kind of have to worry about like your error rates. If you're doing a regression, like if you're predicting the price of a house, then you have to worry about how far off you are and, and know what kind of, uh, errors are prevalent in the system that you've you've trained but that's especially true of something in like cancer classification you want to know what what all like quadrants you have of 
you know, true positives and true negatives versus false positives and false false negatives. Yeah, so there's lots of different issues in relation to just the the model development. I think we touched on this in the last podcast. I mean, from a model development perspective, you're always making this trade off between sort of minimizing bias, but also minimizing the model sensitivity. So if you if you over tune your model, it's going to be super high predictor on the the data you've used to tune the model. But if if there's a piece of data that or or outcome that sits in between the variables that you use to train the model, then the the model may be highly erratic and highly variant in terms of its ability to to make those predictions. So Mm -hmm. you're always making this balance between how sensitive the model is to new data versus how accurate it is based on on the data set that you're using to train it. Then there's, but that's the sort of inherent issue that any model is going to deal with but then you've got issues like depending on what your data you use to train the model then your model is effectively as biased as data that's been you that, that you've trained it on mm, that's uh, true and yeah, so if, that, if your data set doesn't cover all of the cases which is like definitely going to happen yeah you, you definitely don't have or all the data trained on a particular portion of the population and therefore it's going to be more sensitive to uh, maybe more punitive in a given scenario to a certain subset of the population versus another. And so I think data bias is going to be a big issue. And then transparency is going to be uh, an issue as well. And I think we've already seen pitfalls in the recent election Mm. around the use of AI and algorithms to auto-disseminate information based on sort of psychometric analysis of different individuals to manipulate their thinking and behavior. And and so that what the whole Cambridge Analytica Oh. Example with Facebook is yeah. a, is a great example of AI being used for nefarious purposes, and th- that's only going to get more sophisticated and harder to detect. And yeah, it's it's tricky too because like you could see how people might think, okay, like this is actually not a big deal. I'm actually making the most efficient use of the advertising revenue that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to target the very specific person that I want to talk to, and convince them to take some action but then that's not that, what that's that not what cambridge analytica was doing. yeah what was cambridge analytica doing well if you read uh, one of the guys who used to work for it they they would essentially they'd, they built this capability to run uh, sort of create a psychometric profile of individuals based on their activity on facebook and so you know they had certain inclinations one way or another or biases one way or another and therefore they'd be more susceptible to certain information versus other information in terms of increasing their likelihood of forwarding something, responding in a certain way. And so they were building algorithms that were essentially trying to make a prediction about what type of personality someone had and therefore feeding them specific information similar to an ad based on your psychometrics. You get different ads on your phone versus Dave. And so they're doing the same thing, but they're feeding you information. And in this case, fake information that they think, you you know, that you will respond to in a way that is positive from their perspective. And you, and knowing your profile and the profiles and like your behaviors on Facebook, you would be less likely to then see things if it wasn't, if it wasn't targeted for you in the first place. 
whether it was real news or or fake, mm-hmm. depending on the people who shared it and the people who would be interested in that. And I say <clears throat> interest with quotes, you may not see me do that, but mm-hmm. if you're interested in that, then you would see it, and then your response would feed into your profile that then they can use even more deeper. So just like so constantly if you're susceptible getting- to the idea that like Muslims were laughing on. Jersey City as the tower came down, which is totally like not true. Right. Stories were written using AI around that and then sent targeted to people on Facebook who would be more who have shared that. Yeah. Who would be more susceptible to saying, yeah, that's true and passing it on to other people in their group and So so what algorithms would be used to do that? Like what type of AI? Because we talked about different models. Is that supervised learning? Is that unsupervised learning? Mm -hmm. What what model under those categories? So you you could use that you could use classification algorithms. I mean, you know, so you'd be putting people into different groups based on uh, certain information: geography, uh, age, gender, work, location. It, yeah. So those are your your that's your feature set. That's your feature set, and but the results that there may be, yeah, you may be able to label them in some way based on other information, whether they're a, you know. Alt right, conservative, super left, whatever it is that you think that they are, but again, again, but again, you may not have that. You may may not be able to label that data set, and so you're more using more unsupervised models or deep learning models to um, understand sort of that latent structure of the whatever the data set that you've pulled out. In this ca- in Cambridge Analytica's case, I suppose that was like 50 million, 80 million profiles or something like that. So I guess you could go through, find a bunch of articles that you would like or that you would say are of the type that you want more people to share and then anybody who actually shared those articles would be considered you know a positive case and then uh, anybody you know like an equal sized group of people who didn't would be considered the negative case and then that would be your labels yeah so you could a b test it like that that's that's so so you uh Send one group a set of stories and another group a set of stories that you think are part of that that same cluster and look at how they respond and then flip that switch maybe the next day and see how they respond. But yeah, I think, we, I think the way you described it makes sense. What about using a reinforcement algorithm? Well, see, now you're getting into deep learning again. Oh, right. That's part three. That's part three, that's that's part three yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess like maybe, maybe we could use that as a segue to talk about like the classification or sorry the uh unsupervised clustering and something like that like how how an algorithm like cambridge analytica's nefarious thing might might work as like an unsupervised yeah i don't know if i can make a coherent connection directly back to them or not but so there's different categories with under unsupervised as well there's areas of what they call dimensionality reduction topic modeling was another one And then there's other algorithms like K-means, which is just classifying data based on its proximity to other data around it, which probably sounds a bit abstract and ridiculous. (laughs) So dimensionality reduction is saying, looking at a data set and saying, well, what are the the features that are really important in terms of being predictors around uh, how this this data might respond or what the results that, the relationship between the the inputs and and the results? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see that like as being something like if in your Facebook profile, like in the Cambridge Analytica example, if you if you like, you know, something that's more right leaning, like trucker hats and country music, 
<laughs> then maybe you'll cluster more with people who are similarly like-minded than people who like opera and skinny jeans. Yeah. <laughs> and hipster coffee shops or something. I don't right. know. Right. Although there is like kind of an overlap maybe with a trucker hat somewhere yeah. with hipsters. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a, probably, that's a good way to think about it. You do, you, you're going to look at, given their profile type, if you throw some information at them, what the, you know, what the probability that they're going to consume that and then pass that on and then start to build some relationships around and predictive power around what type of information they're going to consume and how they're going to react to it. Yeah. So yeah. they're going to be, if they, if you throw in a, uh, if you throw an article in their feed related to the latest symphony at the New York <laughs> Philharmonic <laughs> Orchestra, they're probably going to skim straight through that versus maybe, uh, if you're if you're staying with the the trucker people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Although right. I don't, I, guess I, don't like, I don't want to be biased. <laughs> yeah, right. And I guess like that kind of maybe ties into like stacking different kinds of models together because you might like try to like cluster people in, together in a way that you don't really understand. But then maybe you could throw those links to the Philharmonic or Fox News at them mm-hmm. and see how they react to that because you can measure it from you know, your click-throughs and then like kind of get an understanding about what what things are going to hit or miss with different types of people. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a very, very insightful conversation on machine learning and how machines even right now and our social media profiles and the applications that we use are constantly collecting data on us to make our lives better. I'm going to say better for the future. I just want to keep thinking that. Yeah. I, th- I think so. I think it's a yeah, lot more, a lot more learning, positive. I think you're you're machine learning's like money and guns. I mean, it's as it's as, <laughs> good, it's as good or as bad as it's people make it. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we'll get some self-driving cars. Yeah, and we'll do some skeet shooting. Yeah, and uh, make a lot of money. Oh yeah, oh, for yeah. charity. <laughs> for charity, Tom. How can people reach you online? The easiest way is probably LinkedIn. So Thomas Benham. I spell the last B- name B E N H A M. Awesome. Last time Tom was here, he spoke about jujitsu, and I'm curious, how's that going for you? Yeah, it's good. I try and go like three times a week. I'm slowly racking up the stripes on my belt. Oh, nice. Where are you now? No, I'm only like two stripes on my on my on my white belt at this stage. Oh, okay. uh, oh. I'm still getting, and I've like cracked a rib and broke my thumb and. Oh, for two stripes? You got to earn those. You got to crack your skull to get a new belt color? How does that work? My hands are constantly swollen, it feels like. (laughs) From punching people all the time. There's no punching in (laughs) jiu-jitsu. There's no no punching. No fair. He's like grabbing, you're grappling, you're like holding people all the time. I, I don't. Right. I don't want to see you in a dark alley when you're angry. So yeah. I'll make sure I'm far away. But I don't. I don't but, really feel that lethal, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, regardless, it's it's wonderful having you in the podcast. So. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for coming on, Don. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome to come back. We can have a part three on machine learning whenever you're ready. Come on down. Let's keep the conversation going on Twitter. Follow us now at Radio Free Rabbit. Like what you hear? Give us a five star review. It helps developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.